Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is July of 2017. It is three DMs talking about their games and helping each other out. We're going to try to go extra short this time so that we can have a little bit of time at the end of the episode to uh, have a little conversation that, that Sir Michael and Lord Samuel had on Facebook recently about the use of miniatures, and they wanted to sort of bring that up again. And I think we're going to make it a whole advice episode in, in a later episode of the Tome Show. So um, that's where we're at. Ten minutes on the clock. Uh, I'm first on the list, so I'm going to hit start, and I'm going. All right, so uh, last time we talked, my group had left the the satellite spaceship thing behind. Um, They had worked their way back over to the water temple, um, and they had sort of entered the water temple and just sort of had one um, encounter there. You remember, uh, for listeners, post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth, um, you know, the players are helping build the world, and so you've got this this weird conglomeration country that they're working for called the Free Realms, and they're part of a, a paramilitary group that sort of helps protect the, the Free Realms. Uh, and, and the Water Temple and the, the, the temples from the um, Princes of the Apocalypse uh, exist on Dasarn Island as opposed to Dasarn Valley from the original adventure because uh, it's a series of violence in the Pacific Ocean that, that they're playing in. Uh, and so they went back to Dasaran Island after having spent a bunch of time away because um, the temples were, like, destroying whole towns um, because they'd ignored it for, you know, three or four months. And, and rightfully so. They were dealing with, you know, demon lords and things. Uh, and so they, they finally went back. They decided to check out the water temple kind of under the weird assumption that they figured that was going to be the next one to strike because... They asked, well, how did the, the two towns that have been destroyed, how did they get destroyed? And I just off the top of my set head said, uh, one of them was a, a rain of fire and one of them was a tornado. And so like, okay, water's next. we got to stop them before they hit the next town. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, fine. Go for water. I, don't, I wasn't sure how they were going to make that decision anyway. So they're heading into the water temple, uh, and, that's, and they had their first sort of encounter. They ran into their first um, – people you know there and then i realized i'd kind of misread parts of the map in that encounter the the next time i ran right i'm like oh that's what they meant by that that was confusing the first time i read it so um and i couldn't do my normal like pre-reading prep because i didn't know which of the four temples they were going to go to or which of the three anyway they were going to go to so it was a little harder for me to be ready for it uh, so this time I got it figured out and they explored a little bit more of the water temple. Um, it was relatively normal, I guess. It wasn't um, – there was nothing too horrible, horribly uh, different that ha- took place. I'm, I'm playing up some of the ideas like the the, um, the prophet of water has left because uh, one of the things the adventure does is after you've defeated one of the prophets, the others sort of retreat down to the, to the inner fane or the fane of the eye, whatever it is. Uh, and so the water prophet isn't there, so I've kind of played up a little bit of the chaos of what's going on there. I also had this idea, I think last time we talked, that um, because they'd already destroyed the most of the Earth Temple and the the, temp, uh, and the prophet of Earth, that um, I was trying to figure out what to do with that um, that temple and, and that vacuum, that power vacuum that existed. And I kind of had the idea that the fire temple would sort of conquer it. Uh, and then in between our last recording and my actual play session, it occurred to me, oh, I need some uh, some ways of seeding in these other stories like the the uh, bug creatures and the war uh, the, the gear forge and 
all of these other things that, that have been layered in to the stories. So rather than having the fire temple take over the earth temple, I had um, the bug creatures had sort of invaded, right? Um, the, the meta story that the, the players are only just now starting to discover is that the, the bug creatures are not actually the threat that they think it is. The bug creatures are um, creatures that are here as sort of like white cell antibodies trying to take on the, the horrible chaotic magic. And I figured, you know what? The, these four earth or these four elemental temples of evil uh, would qualify as, uh, you know, horrible chaos magic. So they're trying to work their way down uh, as well. And so one of the, you know, there was a, v- a vacuum, and so they moved in and they've taken over the Earth Temple. Now the other temples are fighting the bug creatures, but also each other. And now the adventurers are coming down in the middle of it. Uh, and I've start, sort of started to hint to them that there is fighting between the water temple and the bug creatures. Uh, They heard the sounds of fighting at one point, and that was supposed to be when they were supposed to go check that out, and and they opted not to. They're like, oh, well, fighting over there, it's not us, so we'll just let them kill each other. Bye. (laughs) So I suspect they'll discover the the bodies or whatever later from that battle. Um, But they, they decided not to deal with that. Um, the Water Temple itself is kind of geographically set up in a way where it's got these these rivers that kind of work around it, and then it's got this outer edge part of the, the dungeon, and then this central sort of island, which is where all the more monstrous denizens of the Water Temple live, led by this, uh, was it a hag? I think it is. Um, and and uh, there's a dragon turtle that lives in the water and, and all these other things, right? Um, and so... My players decided to work around the edge. When they got as far as they could there, they went over to the central island and and s- decided in the middle of like the supply room, like they found this the, where all the supplies and there's crates and and stuff that has been stolen from the local people. And they're like, well, forget these guys, these cultists. We're not gonna let them have all this stolen goods. And so they piled it all into the middle of the room and set it on fire not recognizing that they're in the middle of a dungeon and that's going to get a lot of attention. <laughs> so so they ended up aggroing like three encounters at once. And one of the things that the hag does, uh, if you role play with the hag a little bit, is lead the, the parties over to where the dragon turtle is and, and summon the dragon turtle. Well, it turns out they were burning stuff in the spot where that happens. So in the middle of, the, of aggroing these three or four different fights, she also then called in the dragon turtle. Uh, so it turned into one like really epic encounter. Like I think it is the first time in fifth edition that my players felt like, oh my gosh, there is no way we're getting out of this. We're going to die. And then they pulled it off by the skin of their teeth, uh, which <laughs> is it, which is you know that that encounter sort of feeling that you want to have all the time. And and I felt really happy that that we pulled it off that time because they did something stupid. And so they paid for it, you know. <laughs> so. So anyway, so so yeah, that's where we're at. They haven't actually gotten to the temple yet. I haven't kind of. It was ironic because I actually, for once, for the first time in in months at least, I actually drew out a map ahead of time, figuring, eh, we haven't done any maps right, stuff with maps in minis a long time. I'll draw out this map and and we'll do something with maps this time. And it was the temple, figuring that would be the big climactic battle. So we only had time for the one big aggro uh, battle in the middle of the temple. They didn't actually get to the you know the actual temple temple. So so I drew out the map and we never used it and I could have really used it in this other encounter that you know ended up being four encounters at once so <laughs> You know, the way things go, right? You plan something, you you set out all your dwarven forge, right, Mike, and then and then yep. they don't they go left instead of right. Yep. 
we're going to talk about that in a bit. Yeah, yeah. So so that's where I'm at, and I'm trying to figure out now, like, they're going to be heading up to the rest of it. I don't imagine they're going to spend the whole session um, in a couple days just dealing with what's left of the Water Temple. Um, so I don't know if at this point they're going to be digging into the Inner Fane, if they're going to go check out other temples, uh, or where they're going to head at this point. So it's a bit of a bit of a question, and I always like to tweak and change my plans in between each session, so I'm not quite sure where to go with things now that I've already changed um, the bug creatures being present and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. what's what's their primary goal right now? Uh, so their primary goal, like they they have been the point people on dealing with these elemental cults on Dasaran Island since they were level one. Like this was right. their, this is the very first thing they did, uh, and the the actual like military organization, the the Citadel Defense Force, or we just call it the CDF. Um, the CDF is really focused on dealing with these bug creatures that keep invading because there's this magical maelstrom in the middle of the, of the free realms um, that they use as a power source, uh, and the bug creatures keep going after it. And they just they don't know the bug creatures are just trying to contain chaos magic, right? They think they're the bad guys. Um, so yeah, so so basically the military needs this taken care of, but they can't dedicate the resources to it, and so they've sent this group which are sort of semi-autonomous military groups that they have running around. Basically, um, licensed adventurers that run around and do things to to help out, Hmm. taking care of it, especially since they already know more about what's going on. Right. So, so yeah, their goal right now is just tamp down the temples so that they stop destroying cities and killing people. Hmm. Because they don't have much of a clue as to the larger goal of what's going on. So are they, are they, do they have plans to sort of face the elemental princes themselves? Like there's that opportunity for one of the princes to sort of get pulled in. Yeah, so that's one of the things that um, has, I have not made clear to them yet. Like they don't, I don't get the impression that they really know that that's a potential thing that could happen, that that's what they're trying to do. Um, they, they, they're starting to get some of those clues. So, because like they have the the earth weapon, Iron Fang, the war pick, right? Uh, and one of the and the barbarian finally started using it relatively recently, uh, and discovers oh, it has this power to you know open portals to to the the elemental plane right, of Earth, right? So they're starting to get some of the hints. I, I hesitated in in dropping the the big motivation for the elemental temples on them right away. Because uh, because of the way I'm layering in four different adventures at once, I needed to like if I gave them a really strong hook, like this is going to happen and they're going to summon this thing and it's going to s- destroy the world, then they would ignore all the other storylines and focus on that, and that's not what I'm trying to do, <laughs> you know? Right. So I have right. to use a little bit of a light touch in terms of the hooks. Uh, so I'm I'm thinking that uh, now that you asked that, I'm starting to think that maybe this is the point that I start layering in more of those hints because they're getting to the point where. They are of the level that they could and should be going into the inner fane, uh, and I would kind of rather they do that than, um, than keep going around and trying to destroy all the temples, right? Which is not really what you're supposed to do in the adventure, right? Right, right. So, so that's where I'm at. Any other questions? Not for me. Nope. Sam's been quiet. Making I me... was muted about halfway through <laughs> and I realized it, so. <laughs> Making me ramble on the, my, almost my whole time. That's all right. All right. All right, well then. We thought, we thought a change would be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me ramble instead of Mike. Is that what you're saying? Oh! Oh! Instead of oh! 
instead of uh, interrupting all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so in that case, we're going to take a quick break and mention our sponsor, Noble Knight. Noble Knight is an online game store that also has a, a brick and mortar store. So you're you're not you're not not supporting a local friendly game store and shopping from Noble Knight. They specialize in finding out of print. And my pick for this episode is the classic uh, collection from 1981 of all of the Against the Giants modules. Of the original against the giants. Now those were those were re-released in, with fifth edition stats uh, in Yawning Portal, Tales from the Yawning Portal. Uh, but if you wanted to check out the original, um, there it is a 32-page book. It's been out of print for what 15, no 20, 25, 26 years. Um, and I'm told one of the the best adventures that D and D has ever had. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Mike is not impressed. I actually chose it. This is one of the conversations we had when we actually reviewed Tales from the Yawning Portal. That's true, yes, that's it true. is it is very well done, especially given the time it was written. Hmm. <laughs> I actually chose it because of you, Mike, because I know you're doing Storm King's Thunder and this this I think is Well, um, that, what, that what brings Storm, up a whole other problem. This, this, this is what Storm King's do, Thunder is paying homage to, I think. I know, but why did they do Storm King's Thunder and then do another book right after it that has more giants? <laughs> well, that's that's a yawning portal question. One year. Yes, uh, that that should be referred. We're referring our read our listeners to the Tales from the Yawning Portal review, review episode. episode. Yes. Uh, so that is available uh, in all of its glory. I chose. They have several in multiple conditions. Um, I chose the one that's in very good condition, which is pretty uh, pretty <laughs> difficult to run across from something that was last published in 1981, uh, which they're selling for only 22 bucks. So that's not a bad deal if you want to check out one of the originals. And in general, Noble Knight has the best or most consistent uh, product condition grading system. Yeah, they do a pretty good I'm job. Never, I'm never... Yeah, I'm never worried if I buy something there that says mint that it's actually mint, or if it says very good that it's actually very good. Mm. Right on. So check them out. Let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, I normally devour noble knights, but right now I do have one noble knight I love, and that's noble knight so awesome and it's tasty i get all my gaming products there new and out of print and i can sell my products when i'm not using them now i need to go capture some villagers and sit on a pile of treasure thanks all right michael Oh, am I up? You are up. You are no, going to tell it's us me. all. No, it's oh, not. Oh yeah, I guess it is. No, because I'm going to go first next. <laughs> I time. have the Never list. <laughs> yeah, he's got a list. So it's Mike's turn. He's, he's going to tell us twice. all. He's going to tell us all about why giants are horrible. Mike, go. Oh, I like giants. I'm 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 having a lot of fun <laughs> with giants. I like giants a lot. Uh, so I'm running two groups. I'm running them both through Storm King's Thunder. Uh, both have gone completely off the rails in different ways, but both are kind of heading back towards the main course. Um, my Zinterim group is doing a bunch of Zinterim things, uh, and they, the most recent thing is that they finally reached, uh, Clouth, and, uh, the Clouth is the, the for spoiler, yeah, spoiler, yeah, spoilers dragon. So, uh, 
he showed up as a gnome. I kind of pictured him like a mean version of the gnome in the D&D cartoon, right? <laughs> and and they knew he's a dragon. Like they saw right away. By the, like, gnome, oh, by the gnome in the D&D cartoon, do you mean the dungeon master? The dungeon master, okay. whatever. I watched, I was like nine. So I guess um, I never thought he was a gnome, but okay, is go he, ahead. He's very he's, small. He's not a gnome. But anyway. <laughs> he looks like that guy and he's a gnome. So, um... Uh, so they, yeah, and they knew like right away, like, okay, we're not screwing with this guy. So he never even, tra- I think at one point he transformed into a dragon to breathe on the meteorite that's sitting in Clouthenvale that keeps Clouthenvale hot and, and temperate while the rest of the world around it is frozen. That's a little fun thing I added. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so they're now working for him and they're heading off to the Eye of the Allfather for the first time, uh, with a much meaner Harshnag. So they met Harshnag too, but Harshnag is kind of a mercenary like they are, rather than being this nice, friendly, huggable giant that he yeah, is. So Harshnag is the frost giant who was part of the original Force Gray right. team right. that was the sort of superheroes yeah. of uh, the Ju- the Justice League of of right. Liberty. And I didn't. I just said he's a he's like an old friend of Clouth, and he broke away from the giants himself, and now he's a mercenary and does stuff. But he's also the only one who knows where the Eye of the Allfather is. Right. Uh so the other group is my group of Harpers who are doing typical Harper things. And the most recent thing for them, they broke into Darkhold. So one of their big quest lines is they've been picking up the three items of uh, the Allfather's bastard son, a half-human, half-giant, Goliath-type person known as Thrum. And uh, this is all my BS, by the way, of course. Most of it's all my BS. So uh, Throom has three powerful artifacts that have been spread across the world. He's, he died thousands of years ago. And one was a set of bracers called the Bracers of Thoom, Throom. One was a belt called the Belt of Throom. I was very original. And finally, <laughs> a hammer called the Hammer of Throom. Oh. And well, they, you know, it would have been awkward if he said, where's my belt? And then put on boots, you know. Like right. Or <laughs> so uh, they were all over the place. And from this show, if you recall... They got the bracers from the captain of the uh, gambling boat. Um, that was a lot of fun. I think I mentioned that like they, that's where they first got the hint that he works for Slackrathal, the giant, the giant squid monster, yeah. the kraken, the, the psychic kraken. And um, they got the they got the belt. They, so they now have all three items. They find the last one was the belt, which they broke into Darkhold. <laughs> And they were going through these tunnels underneath. They fought a bunch of slods. It turned out that there was this evil warlock uh, who worked for the Zinterim who was summoning slods to use them as like a new Zinterim army. And they beat the slods. They killed her. And then they broke into Darkhold. And they got to him in the middle of the night when he's on the can. And they stuck a big dresser in front of his door. So he's stuck on the can. And they stole his belt and left. So that was, <laughs> I was worried that they thought like that was anticlimactic. But they all seemed like, no, it's kind of cool, you know. But they got to just break in, grab his thing, because they'd been battled out by that point. They had like no spells left. They'd been, you know, beat to beat to hell. Um, and and I thought it was kind of funny that why have a big you know fight with a guy when they could just steal his belt and leave. Um, so now they've headed back to the Eye of the Allfather, and they met the Allfather himself. Um, you know, the whole thing was they had to get these three items together, and that would get the Allfather's attention, right? Now that now the Allfather actually pay attention, and then this really cool scene where they go to the the little the little temple area, and then the temple area shatters around them, and they're on top of a mountain, and the Allfather, who is mountain sized himself, is sitting on another mountain across from them, and it's like, okay, so you know, what do you want? And kind of, I mean, I role played it better than that, and. Um, <laughs> You know, and I had like the whole thing of of the All Father had his, a wife, and his wife is 
now in the form of a huge mountain and there's a huge skeleton that's lying on the mountain with the all father's sword stuck through him and the skeleton was the lover of his wife which is all from the lore that i found on on uh the forgotten realms wiki which i highly recommend if you want to get any forgotten realms lore yeah he was awesome. uh, yeah so that was kind of cool so they could see like oh there's more to the you know there's there's more richness and detail to the Allfather than just being a big giant guy. He has drama of his own, right? And he said, you know, oh, so the big reveal was, he said, they're like, yeah, we, we need your help to restore the Ordning and stop the chaos of the giants. And he looks at him and he scoots real low, so he's right on top of him and he says, there is no Ordning. You know, there's no such thing. This is something that giants have been hanging on to as though it's true for, you know, thousands of years. That whole rank and structure of the giants is something they used to have. And as soon as King Hecaton disappeared, they all thought the Ordning disappeared and decided to go chaotic. You know, go go chaotic. But there's no magical force that binds them to them. You have to convince them to restore it, right? So you you gave the story an ending. I did. <laughs> and I thought, like you know, and this is this is like one of my keys, which is the only way I'm going to maintain any kind of mystery in a game is if I don't know what it is until all of a sudden it happens. Mm-hmm. Right? So like, if there's a murder, I don't want to know who the murderer is until the players find out who the murderer is. And then we all find out together. And that's the only way they're not going to learn about it ahead of time, right? So it was literally like, I think that morning where I'm like, ooh, what if there isn't an ordning? And I just wrote that idea down. I'm like, maybe that's a terrible idea, but what the hell? Let's see. Let's see how this works out. So you're and, really uh, bad at keeping well, secrets the, the, is what you're saying. What's that? You're really bad at keeping secrets. Yes. Okay. I, don't, I don't think, I, I, and I don't imagine I'm alone. Like, you know, <laughs> when it's five on one on keeping secrets, I think we all tend to suck. Well, no, what, what I was going to say is the beauty of what you did is you were like, well, and if it, if it sucks, well, so what? But here's the thing. The players will let you know if it sucks. And if it sucks, it could actually twist in the story and they're just going to think he's lying to them. Yeah, it could right? be. Yeah. So, so, but I'm just saying, like, so, you know, right. even, you know, when you do something like that and you're like, well, here's this great idea, or maybe it's not so great, you, you don't really know if it's going to be great or not. But how the players react is what's going to make it great or not. Yeah. Right. And you I know, don't like, actually, not, and I don't actually know if what you said is true. Maybe you should do some D&D data on this, but it, it feels to me, at least in my history, that, that DMs have a tendency to, to play things a little too close to the chest and not give out information quickly enough. Uh, I, I know that's typically how I tend to, to run is, is that I keep things secret longer than I should and you, and the the plot starts to get weak as a result. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, you I know, just remember scenes where, like, the king's up on the thing and the king's like, somebody in my, you know, somebody's been leaking information about my kingdom. And they're like, ah, and they stab the advisor. And they're like, oh, my God, it's a doppelganger. And you're like, oh, well, that was supposed to be Adventure 6. Right. But now you, you found him and stabbed the doppelganger in, in, you know, the first two hours of the game. So I don't know. What, what I was going to say was, you know, the thing is that um, I think it's a pretty much a, a maxim amongst DMs that one of the most difficult things is figuring out how much information to give and still mm-hmm. keep that mystery. I mean, half of us don't give enough information and half of us give way too much. Yeah. And I, I think there's a there's a fine balance there between what you do so i I get why you're why you're talking about the strategy of if you don't know either then there's no way you can give it away but you can keep building clues into it until they figure something out and so can the players right they could be finding clues and you're like ooh, that clue's cool i'm gonna use that right does that does that mean whatever they figure out is always right no well maybe because they figured out with you yeah 
Yeah, I mean, but maybe not. I mean, you know, I mean, you kind of got to. You also have to go with okay. Well, what's the reality of this world, and does that fit the reality? You know, can it be that? Um, yeah. Anyway, so that was fun. Uh, he gave a drop of blood and put on uh, one of our characters' hammers, the one the the Goliath, and now she has a modified hammer of thunderbolts. I didn't really like the hammer of thunderbolts that's in the DMG, so I changed it slightly. Um, but it's wicked powerful. She can hurl it. it it's like a hammer, a dwarven thrower, plus three. Uh, will slay a giant if it hits on a 20. Um, nice. Once per day, she can stun whatever she hits. Um, and I think some other stuff. So, Oh, and it returns to her hand as fast as she throws it. So you can throw it three times around. So, pretty, pretty yeah. So it's, it's, like Mjolnir. it's Mjolnir. It's like a machine gun hammer. What's that? It's yeah, Mjolnir. it's Mjolnir. It's supposed yeah. to be. All right, the whole yeah. thing, all this stuff is built on the idea. I read Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman recently, and all of that's wow. got wrapped and the funny thing is, so did the player who's playing uh, this character. Ah. So she and I are just basically running with those, and every, all the other players are happy with they, you know, they 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 might not be fully clued in, but I know that she read the same book I did, and we're both cluing in on all the same okay. stuff. So that's, that's in my Audible list. I'll have to. I, I'll it's check good. That out yeah, soon. it's a fine. It's maybe a fine we'll book. do a book club on it, and you can join us. Yeah. Uh, so one of the <laughs> what, yeah, maybe yeah, sure. so one of the interesting <laughs> things is. Um, I've been running a lot of battles. So I've been doing a couple things. One is I've been running a lot of battles with a lot of monsters at once. So I ran a battle in my Zinterim game where they fought 100 Crawling Claws mm. at one time. I fought another one where I think in that same group they fought 36 ghouls. Why? Big piles of ghouls. And, uh, well, because that, doesn't that like, just become a slog? No. Yes. That's... Could it become a slog? Yes, but not the way I ran it with the new Sly Flourish approved mob rules. Oh. <laughs> a, it's, a, it's my latest Sly Flourish article uh, as of this, this writing. And it's got a little calculator that says put in the number of creatures, put in the AC of the target, put in the attack score of the monsters, and put in how much damage they do. And you run it, and it says they're going to take this much damage. And it's based on the odds of them getting hit by an, any number of monsters. So... You know, if they have an AC of 20 and they're getting attacked by 16 ghouls, you know, some number of them are going to hit and it's going to inflict this much damage. And at first, it seems, you know, people get kind of like, well, you're not even rolling. And it's like, well, they're, you know, it's all going to normalize out. You're getting attacked by so many of these things that I could sit here rolling 38 dice, but I can tell you it's going to come out to just about what you saw. And generally what I found is the players don't care that much. Like, they're, they're you know... Knowing that their armor class is having an effect on how much damage they're taking is enough for them to be to to to, to feel okay with it because they also know if you were rolling you might hit me a lot more, so it works in their favor. <laughs> but but using that and, and it's basically a modification of the rule the mob rules that are in the dungeon master's guide which you could also use if you have the DMG you can mm -hmm. use that little mob rule. And I looked at it and I'm like I don't really like this, but now that I'm using it I like it a lot. And I've run three battles now with huge amounts of monsters. And and it's cool because it's like, you know, when how often can you say like you're getting attacked by 100 crawling claws and not have it like, OK, time for round one. Let me roll a D20. <laughs> right. That would totally suck. But to yeah. say like, you know, they're like, I mean, it's at one point, what, oh, one of them got attacked by 100 slots. They got attacked by 99 slot tadpoles. And, he they, you know, bef right before the guy's like, look, they're going next and we're all standing right here. I got to do it. I'm going to fireball us. Right, and he fireballed the whole group. Everybody took fireball damage, and all the slots were killed. And that was the end of the fight, right? But it was like they had to make that choice. So it, it ended up being real, really cool. But again, you can only run that also if you're running Theater of the Mind, which so, we'll talk about. So did you also take the hundred crawling, call it crawling claws, and split them up amongst yeah. the party? 
Yeah, I just I anytime I got like a mob <laughs> like that, I just distribute them evenly across the whole group. All right, because I just did a hundred creatures at a I, I threw in a plus five with five damage each. Yeah, they do uh, they do four for like three damage. The crawling crawling claws don't do a whole lot. Yeah, but still two hundred and seventy five <laughs> damage. <laughs> That's a lot of damage to, to whip out in one. Yeah. Oh yeah, you wouldn't do a hundred on one guy, right? But you yeah. could do twenty, right? And, and it's still a lot. Like, you know, it's not nothing to get hit by those guys. But I did, like, I think I did 30, 24 whites yesterday. And whites are not, they're CR3, right? They get two attacks around. They get, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I, I used it for that, too. And it was really hard. You know, they, they have to, you know, they had to deal with all that. And, and um, hit points was all dealt with as a, as a hit point pool, like uh, 13th Age uses. Okay. Network. So you have one big pile of hit points for all the whites. So and, you're not. So you're not. So the group, the mob, isn't getting weaker as they go. No, they do. Yeah, because every time, I mean, and so in using the mob rules in in Thirteenth Age, every time the mob takes forty five damage, one of the whites dies. Ah, I and see. Fewer, that's fewer whites they're fighting next round. Right. So that they, they took it from like twenty four. It was twenty before the whites went. Then the next round it was thirteen. Next round it was seven, and then they're all dead. I see. And it did less damage each time. Yeah. Cool, that's fun. Awesome. I'm well, done. yeah, it's a it, it's a relatively simple little calculator that you've thrown in here. Yeah, but but or, it, and, uh, and, yeah, it, it seems it, to work it, well. Is, I want to fireball or turn undead on all these guys. The mm-hmm. same calculator can be used to figure out how many of them will save. Yeah, you'll eventually have to add a link to your f- homepage, your front page that of just you know, here's tools and stuff that I've made. That's called the start here button. Something yeah, I, I see that, but it's not. It's not. <laughs> a, it? It's not evident from the the front page. I know you've got you've gone super simple on the front page, but it says start here. I, right I, I know it says start here. I can read. <laughs> Why do you guys always have to have conversations? I have to edit out. You don't have to edit out. That's fine. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> so, I guess Mike is done, huh? <laughs> You set his timer for ten minutes, and he still talked for fifteen minutes. Oh no, at least yeah. I assumed that that would be the case. Yeah, I just expected fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> but we get to talk about SlyFlourish.com a lot, so people definitely go check yeah. it out. Awesome. <clears throat> All right. Well, we're gonna say <laughs> goodbye to Mike then. Well, not say goodbye to Mike. We're gonna finish Mike's time then, uh, and to let you know that if you want to support the show, going to Noble Knight uh, and doing your gaming shopping over there is not the only way to support us. You can also become a patron over at Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/TheTomeShow, where you can, you know, uh, decide to set up. You're going to give a dollar a month or whatever. Uh, to, to the show uh, because you support and, and like what we do and then you get a- extra access to sort of the conversations that, that we're having as we plan uh, each month's group of episodes and what have you. Uh, I want to say thank you to Jeremiah McCory, Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, and Mark Richmond for being patrons as well as many others. Uh, you can also support us by shopping on Amazon using the affiliate link or DMs Guild using the affiliate link. Both of those links are at thetomeshow.com. You click on those links to go to the normal Amazon that you always get, go to. It adds a little cookie so that it knows uh, you came from us. Uh, and then your shopping on Amazon uh, will throw like, what is it, 4% or something our way. Uh, and that's how that's what I distribute out to all the people who help make the show possible to as our way of saying thanks for the work they do on the show, like Sam or Mike or Yay. many of the other people on the show. 
Uh, I've recently we've recently had enough people start contributing to to the feed that I now take none of the Amazon money um, because I'm getting all the sponsorship money to pay for everything else. So I'm not I'm taking none of the Amazon money and I'm distributing all of that uh, just out to other people now. So so there you go. Uh, Sam. Yes, sir. You're up. Go. Awesome. Um, so uh, it, it's interesting, the conversation that that you were having about, like, how you don't give everything away. So you decide that you don't know. This is in reference to what Mike was talking about. You decide right. that you don't even know what the end to the mystery is going to be until the players stumble upon it or while you're doing your prep immediately before you know, a session, you come up with a couple of brilliant ideas that may or may not actually be brilliant, and then you you sort of use those. And I, I do a very similar thing because I also have a hard time figuring out how much you know, I, I always I often feel like I'm hitting my players over the head with information uh, and making everything way too obvious. But in general, if you ask players, They'll say, oh, no, I couldn't, you know, I can't keep track. I did, couldn't keep good enough notes or I didn't catch that, you know, whatever that tip was that or, my or DM thought later I was. they forgot or whatever, yeah. Right, yeah, and the, or they just didn't think of it in the same context, even though I felt like I was hitting them over the head. So that's, that is, I, I really do think it's a, it's a very consistent problem uh, with DMing. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. On both, on both sides, you mean? Yeah, yeah, on, on both sides, right. exactly. Yeah. Too yeah, much yeah, or too I, little. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, probably. I, mean, I think that's probably. I think the hardest thing to do as a DM is figure out that pacing just right. Like I can't. I cannot sit in the middle of a session and creatively come up with those ideas in the middle of the session because my brain is too busy doing too many other things. Um, so I at least have to figure out what the mystery is like that morning before the guys show up. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what this leads me into is the the little prop that I made for my last session. So. So let me do a tiny bit of recap. At the end of the last episode of Behind the DM Screen, I believe that my the party had just escaped uh, from the dungeon, which was the pseudo Sunless Citadel mixed with Shadowfell Keep. Mm-hmm. Um, they just gotten out and they escaped the town, which was still extremely overrun with goblins, and they went out to the little refugee camp in the forest surrounding the town, and. Um, uh, basically, um, they decided to, to continue on their journey and go to – because they need to find out. They learned a bunch of things, and they need to find out a little bit of information now. They they were told to um, seek out a particular prophecy. Um, well, so – I should probably back up. So they get they get out of this, this fortress slash dungeon thing, and they go to the refugee camp, and the, the – the, um, this dwarf is running the refugee camp and he's this really old dwarf and he um he sees something uh, he sees an interaction between one of the pcs and their their goblin friend who's on his way to becoming a paladin and the dwarf tells one of the one of the pcs you need to uh when you go wherever you go whether because they're they're discussing going to one one of two big towns right and he says where you go wherever you go whichever town you go to you need to seek out this prophecy um written by so and so and i gave them the name and it was a, a dwarven prophecy and so 
so they decide they're going to go to this this they decide which town to go to so they go to this town and uh, they they end up getting to finally complete one of the very first tasks that they were given, which was to deliver the, to deliver these big eight big cheese wheels uh, to a merchant in town because <laughs> it's cow it's cow milk cheese and cows are very rare, so it's it's very expensive cheese. Anyway, so they do that. <laughs> so they they finally they finally get like quest XP <laughs> because they they have finally uh, completed a particular thing that they were supposed to do. Um, anyway, so a bunch of things happen in town. They I I pull out this great map and they they learn about the city and they talk to a bunch of different people and they, they find some weird, interesting things going on and they learn about a couple of the factions in town. And um, I had to prep quite a bit on the town cause I didn't know. I, and I still don't actually know how long they're going to stay in the town. So I needed to have that, that foundation there so that they could spend a whole bunch of time there if they wanted to. Turns out they spent almost the entire session uh, in town and um and just getting information and going shopping it's the first time they that they've been as a group in a large town and actually had some money to play with um so they they kind of uh, upped their equipment and did different things this happens to be a large enough town that it's not under siege so they weren't you know trying to rescue people and and hide and do all kinds of different things so it's kind of a shift in the tenor of the game for that particular session um, but they went and they sought out the prophecy, and uh, so they, they get the prophecy, and so I had prepared these couple of different props, and one of the props I prepared was um, I have this sort of paper that's made from um, from vegetal material, um, and so it's like, you know, made of like corn husks and wheat chaffs. And it's and so it has this really sort of organic feel, and it and it feels kind of fragile at the same time. Um, and I took and I wrote the prophecy on it with a you know an ink and an actual you know calligraphy pen, even though I can't really write you know calligraphy, but I could still use the pen, and so it looks very like odd writing, and some of the letters are weird shaped and all that. Calligraphesque. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> just to just to give the the feeling of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but still, I just you know I was basically drawing block block letters so they could actually read it, mm. um, and then I sealed it with some sealing wax and I you know I put a stamp in it. So when they go to the library and they and they go to find this prophecy, um, they have to get special permission to unseal this prophecy because it's still a sealed prophecy. And so they get this permission, and they see this prophecy. And so they, the players, thought it was just so cool to have this, this, um, this prop. I mean, it was like basically they finally they went through all of this trouble, and they finally get uh, to, and find this contact that takes them to where they need to go. And then they they get all this help. And then I literally pull like this rolled up thing stamped together with the, you know, with with sealing wax, and I hand it to one of the players, and they had to open it and you know, unroll it and read it. And that was, that was a really great moment. Um, but it was done basically the same way that m what Mike is talking about. I sort of was like, I knew there was this prophecy and it was sort of, uh, at right at the end of the very last session is when I had the dwarf just say, Oh, seek out this prophecy by so-and-so. And then the whole next week I was like, crap, I got to make up this prophecy because <laughs> I knew they were going to go mm -hmm. find it, but I didn't, I hadn't really, I knew there was going to be something, but I didn't really know what it was. So I had to spend a lot of time like trying to figure out how do I want this to go. And it's kind of tough to make a prophecy that's vague enough that you could interpret it in different ways. 
but specific enough that it still could apply to some things that have happened. You know, it's 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 almost an art, and I'm I'm not necessarily good at it, um, but I did succeed at it a little bit because the players did interpret it. Two different players interpreted different patches passages a couple of different ways and so there is some ambiguity there and that's exactly what makes a good prophecy in a D&D game sure. uh, because now they don't know that they have questions about what uh, direction they should go so that was the end of that session the very next session because I've had two sessions in between the last time we recorded the very next session that so when in the process of opening up this prophecy um so one of the players is a dwarven paladin, and his entire clan was wiped out except for him. And the reason he wasn't killed is because the the beings that came and wiped out his clan uh, wrote a bunch of things on his back. They like burned them in and magically sealed them, and and like so there's like all these arcane writings on his back. Um, and if you remember from the last episode, he had had a dream, and they fought all these Dwergar, and one of the Dwergar referred to them as having a map or being a map. And so they decided that they trusted the one of the guys who they dealt with when they were figuring out the prophecy. So they asked him about how they would go about getting someone to translate a document that's in a language they don't understand, and that it could be, you know... Um, information that is probably confidential you know they don't want it getting out so they don't want it to go to just any vendor to get this translation done and uh and they get in contact with this particular sort of high priest guy and he realizes when they're talking to him that one of the people in the room has this writing on his person and he freaks out because they said well we can show it to you in the and the dwarf starts like unlacing his armor you know and he, he freaks out and says no i can't see it because if it could damage me like i can't because the writing is in primordial the all the the text of what's on his back is in primordial which is you know abyssal and elemental you know language so of course remember that they've been seeing big eyeballs everywhere in the Sunless Citadel dungeon, uh, and so that's the the Elder Elemental Eye, right? And so now they're sort of making this connection. Oh wait, here's this chained god, and has something to do with the elements. And now here's this this elemental writing on his back, and none of the priests of the sort of good religions want to see it. So uh, I'll finish up here in one second. Okay. So basically, what they do is they they say we need somebody to do a cleansing ritual then, so that someone can translate this because we need to know what his back says because we think there's a lot of danger here. So the 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 high priest um, charters a ship for them. He says, "Come back tomorrow night. I'll have chartered a ship. We have to make it look good. There has to be some reason why it looks like we're I'm going away for a few days because this cleansing ritual is going to be long and painful and it can't happen in town because if something goes wrong, we'll destroy the whole town. So they so the next session they go out on this boat. The next session is spent almost entirely on the boat. Um, they have to meet all these hoity-toity, you know, heads of different factions and guilds in town that are, you know, because it's supposed to be this celebratory tour, and um, and they kind of have to put on airs, and so there's this kind of little little dinner celebration thing. Then they leave. The guy uh, starts the ritual to sort of read his back, and then I pull out another prop, and I had I had downloaded some kind of weird fonts on my computer, and I. I made the the actual translation of of what you know with the I made the one that looks like an untranslated copy 
And then I actually translated it into Dwarven because I found a Dwarven script. And then I translated it into English, which, you know, quote, you know, AKA common, right? So that they could actually see this process and so that they could read this. Um, and uh, I used um, this, uh, this, I use the number 6174 a lot in it. And if you, you know, if you go to Wikipedia and you look up 6174, you'll find out it's this, this number called Capricar's constant, which is, well, you do this whole process thing and you transform this number. But in any case, no matter what four numbers you pick, you always get back to the number 6174, which is why it's a constant. And um, so that this looks like a map because every time there's like a couple of sentences of you know these weird like prophetic sayings it has these different numbers and then some of the some of the writing is just these sequence of numbers that are running through this sort of capricor's constant mathematical operation and so every sentence ends with the number 6174 so it's got this sort of constant weird like puzzle thing that they don't really have to puzzle out because they don't have to read it and learn it but the very end of it it has the name of a particular text that they need to seek out when they go to uh the ancient minotaur city and so that's where they're at um but of course on a boat you have to have a battle while you're on a boat right so i had some uh creatures that i created called storm wyverns um start attacking them in the middle of a storm uh on the open lake and the lake is huge it's like one of the great lakes so it's almost like being at sea um, and so they had a really fun battle where they had to try not to fall down every time the ship lurched and all that kind of stuff. So it was a really, really fun session. And um, they are start they're almost at fourth level, so they're starting to learn that um, what they have stepped in is quite a bit bigger than maybe what they thought when they were first told they need to deliver some cheese. <laughs> I like how how your sessions from from actually from in one session you went from deliver this cheese to an epic prophecy, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, the delivering the cheese happened in the very first session, and then they had to travel like five days, right? And, <laughs> and they found a town that was overrun. I mean, there was there was a progression, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> I understand. It's just it, it feels a little bit like a, a, a video RPG game, right? Where where you know you're you need to go get help from this guy in town, and and he gives you on this long gives you this long quest chain, which is like deliver this thing to that person, whatever, and and, and then. As a reward, they'll translate the great scroll and find out you're the chosen one. And in a very short period of time, you go from delivery boy to the chosen one. Yeah. So, cool. Well, you may have successfully uh, won the prize for going the most over time today. So, yeah, good I job. knew that was going to happen. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, so that leaves us like 10 or 15 minutes to have this conversation about uh, minis and the theater of the mind and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to turn it over to uh, to Mike to start us off because he is the one who came to me and said we should talk about this. Uh, yeah, let me let me let me set the stage. Yeah. Um, so there was the recent Dwarven Forge Kickstarter five. Well, uh, ended about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and much like these things, I start off by saying, oh, I have enough Dwarven Forge, I'm good. And by the end, I'm like, every hour, I'm like, did they put anything new and cool up that I have to have? <laughs> right. Um, 
And I posted about it because, you know, it's, it's just uh, such beautiful stuff, right? It's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, just great, great I was, stuff. I, I, saw, I saw you post about it on Facebook. And I'm like, yeah, I, was, I wrote I, all about it. And I, I wrote I, about it on Facebook. I wrote I checked, an article. I on checked it out. I, I, I clicked the link. I went through the, the Kickstarter. I'm like, man, that's really tempting and really cool. And I haven't used a map in six months. So why right. would I spend this money? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so it was Sam who uh, posted a reply to one of them saying that he – had gotten rid of his maps and gotten rid of his minis and never felt so free. And I thought that was a really interesting, uh, you know, as a guy who runs both very big the- uh, Dwarven Forge mini setups and has a lot of money invested in Dwarven Forge and mini setups, but also runs Theater of the Mind, it was interesting to hear somebody who had all that stuff got rid of it and now runs, uh, but I-, I don't think you run Theater of the Mind, it sounds like, Sam, is that right? That's correct. I didn't get rid of my maps. I I had I had um so Dwarven Forge, they had the dungeon Kickstarter, they had the cavern Kickstarter, they had the castle Kickstarter. Uh they also had the city the city Kickstarter. And the, and, and the city Kickstarter and then the castle Kickstarter. Those are the four and then the fifth yeah. one is what you're talking about, this big dungeon this of doom. Really yeah. big dungeon, right? With like 15 sub units, right? I mean, it was like humongous. It was like um, it was like a, over 100 different possible yeah, like specific add-ons and stuff. Yeah, well, when the when the dungeon Kickstarter came out, the, the very first Kickstarter Dwarven Forge did. Now, I had had I had some sort of dungeon stuff before, and I had lots of maps and stuff, uh, but um, I couldn't afford. I mean, I was a grad student, so I couldn't afford uh, Dwarven Forge. Um, but my players at the time, they decided they wanted to go in on it, and they went in for like a ten ten set, like the big mucho, you know big giant buy as much as you can thing and they get and they split it and they gave me half mm-hmm. for free so i had like this i i had this big set of suddenly i had this big set of dungeon dwarven porch i started using it all the time and um because we were still playing i was still playing fourth edition for one of my games at that time so it was awesome because I, I also had a bunch of minis i had about um you know 1500 minis mm-hmm. so I had all that, and then the um, and then the cavern. Uh, my group and I we went in halvesies, so I I got it relatively cheap, but for a whole bunch of it, and so I had the caverns. And then the 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 um, the city one came out, and I got some of that. So I had so I ended up with this big giant collection, right? And by the time the castle hit, I just was like, I can't spend this much money on it, because to make what I want to make, it's going to cost me like a thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So I I did not do the castle one, and then when this dungeon one came out, I was like, I'm so glad, because what I had just done like two months earlier or six months earlier or something was sold all my minis. I sold every mm-hmm. single mini I had. I had wow. 1500 minis, and I had a, a bunch of little terrain things. I sold all of it. Uh, the minis I got about you know three thousand dollars for, and I sold then I sold all my dwarven forge. And I got you know two three thousand dollars for it. Yeah. See, I well, see. I, I I've th- I've been theater. Yeah. The, I've been almost exclusively theater of the mind for months. Uh, almost almost since fifth edition came out. I've done a, uh, maps on occasion yeah. since fifth edition came out. But I, I I don't think I've pulled out a map in, in six months. Well, and and, and, and yet thing, I right? and yet I still find myself buying a new box of minis like once a month. When anytime I make an Amazon order, I'm like, oh, I'll just throw in another <laughs> box of well, minis. I, <laughs> So here's the pr- is the process though, right? Because I had it took me years to gather all my minis. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, some of the, these minis that I sold are from like the very first Wizards of the Coast minis. You know, I mean, like some of this stuff was just real 
really old and worth worth more than I sold it for, and I spent more than what I sold it for. And um, I, it was a process, though. I had to come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to make as much money. You know, unless I wanted to sell the individual minis and the rares and sell them for a lot of money. Like, but I didn't want to hassle with it, right? Yeah. I wanted no hassle. Here's a big bulk buy it or don't. Yeah, exactly. Buy it or don't, and there you go. And I think I, I think my opening bid for the Dwarven Forge was like fourteen hundred dollars, and my opening bid for the minis was like a thousand dollars, nine hundred ninety nine dollars, something like That's pretty that. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, and then and it and it went up. I made I you know I made like three thousand dollars on the minis because minis are hot. I mean they're a hot property. It's hot, and I had you know an army of orcs, an army of undead. I mean it was you know amazing. But what happened was I had to sort of wrap my mind around the fact that okay. If I don't have minis, I need to replace it with something. Otherwise, I'm always going to regret having gotten rid of my minis, and I'm going to want to get some more, and I'm going to end up spending money on them. And that the whole point is to wipe that from my mind. Because I, I had learned I can have just as fun a game doing theater of the mind mm-hmm. or using stand-ins that aren't miniatures, right? Using dice right. or using squares or using something, right? So I replaced all my minis with tokens. So I got a couple of those monster vaults from Watsi, mm-hmm. and I got a couple of uh, boxes of Pathfinder Pawn sets, mm-hmm. and I got a couple of sets of Arknight miniatures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, I like and the that, Arknight stuff a lot. Yeah, that replaced all my minis, and I kept all my maps, so I still have all the maps. I still have a bunch of flip maps, you know, and I have, you know, I have a, a, a wet erase, you know, blank, you know, vinyl mat, and I have, so I kept all my maps. But the thing is, I wasn't I wasn't using them all that much anyway, and it was so freeing for me to not even be compelled to sign up for that Kickstarter for Dwarven Forge. Not because I don't love it, because I'm telling you, their stuff is quality stuff. It's mm. beautiful. It's awesome. It's totally worth the money. And I probably came close to to getting my money back on the Dwarven Forge if I had pieced it out and been careful about how I sold it. I would have definitely made more than I spent on it. Yeah, and but, in many cases, their old stuff sells for more than it originally. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 I could have done that, but as I said, I wanted no fuss, no muss. Get it out, and right. and just take it, sell it to a right. person who will either use it or who will piece it out and sell it, and it'll be worth it for them to pay me a bunch of money for it. Right. So, it's so freeing. It's so freeing, and I have no pressure. <laughs> if I if I decide I just want to run, a, I don't want to take a map to a session. I just want to run theater of the mind. I take a few pieces of of uh, graph paper, and that's it. Mm-hmm. If I decide I want to run a battle that ha- that where you know maybe some tactical positioning is important, or maybe there's a, something they have to do during the combat that they'll need to have some kind of visual, you mm-hmm. know, agreement about where that thing is. I'll bring a map or two, and and I'll bring some tokens. Yeah. Otherwise. It's not and and when I run with a map, even when I do with a map, if I'm running a fifth edition, I basically and I, I remind my players every time I slap a map down, I say, "Look, I know this has squares on it. I don't care about squares. We <laughs> yeah. are, we are not paying attention to squares. I yeah. don't care that your movement says you can move thirty feet. I'm not measuring thirty feet. If you want to reach this guy over here, you want to jump across that chasm. You want to go run over there. You want to swing across whatever. If it seems reasonable, I'm going to let you attempt it." And yep. we'll let the role decide whether you made it or not, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, and so I don't count squares, even though I kept all my maps with grids on them. I don't mm-hmm. – nobody is allowed to count a square. And when I catch them every once in a while going one, two, three, I say, quit that. You can move over there. Where, where do you want to go? Yeah, yes, you right, can get there. Right. Yeah, it's funny. Like running a lot of running a lot of theater of the mind. The the most common thing that's been happening with groups that I've been playing theater of the mind with and basically gridless combat, you know, with, even if I use a map and minis. I go the same way you do, is they still say, like, well, how far away is that guy? And I have to go with, well, what do you want to do? 
yeah, right? Like, exactly. don't, don't, I won't tell you how far he is. What do you, well, and it's, it's, it's still like they're trying to get away with something and they're asking, mm. you know, they're trying to like figure it out so that they can do it without me saying no, but I'm not going to say no. Right. You know, so it's like, you know, well, I, I want to catch as many as I can in a thunder wave. I'm like, you can hit five. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. wow. Okay. Right. Yeah. Way better than I thought I was going to get. Right. So, yeah. yeah I, I often approach that, that as. I still have to have that transaction of what do I yeah. want? You know, what, well, how far? How far are I, 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 I started approaching that not only as saying, I'm going to let you do it, but as a kind of a negotiation where I say, well, I think if you moved over there, if you jumped over there and you cast that spell, it's probably going to hit all of these guys here. And I just point to a group of them, right? right. And I'll say, does that sound fair? And if the, if the player says, well, I was kind of trying to get this one guy over here too, I'll say, okay, well, you can get that one, and then, but just not this one over here. And it's like, yeah, you sure, know, it's a negotiation. Yeah, no, yeah, I do, I do that a lot, and and I try to, err, I, I do the same. I try to err on the side of of being generous. Yeah, give them a thing. Um, you know, give, to, give them as much as they as you can give them. That's reasonable. As I, yeah, as is reasonable, and 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 they've gotten to the point now. Uh, I just and I've mentioned how seldom I've used maps uh, since we started playing fifth edition. Um, you know, it used to be like once a month, and now it's become like once a year. Um, but, but it's to the point now where they're like, oh, I'm going to cast this spell and I think I can hit like three or four of them. Does that sound reasonable? And I'll probably catch this guy in, in the, this other player in, in the blast or whatever. Uh, but I'm cool with that. And, and my response is usually like, yeah, but you know, you could probably angle it so you miss the, the PC and, and, you know, so even now, even now as they're getting used to it, they're guessing the kind of number of of enemies i'm going to let them hit mm-hmm. uh, but i'm still trying to give them just a little bit more sometimes um yeah. So, yeah. So, so they don't feel like they're disadvantaged for for not having a map right, right. yeah just just kind of getting back to to the so there's a whole i think we could have a wonderful discussion about how theater of the mind works and i'd yeah. love to have that but the the more interesting thing to me was was actually how sam felt about it mm. and because yeah. i'm on the other side like i don't you know i i have this I have this absolute vision in my mind that I'm going to die and my nieces are going to get 2000 miniatures and throw them in a landfill. You know, that's like, <laughs> know what they yeah. are not going to know how, what they're worth. They're just going to get rid of them and well, I'll be put dead. Put me so in your will. Send them to me. <laughs> sure. Oh, okay. We'll be together in the old folks home. So, um, uh, but that, and that, and there is that idea. You know, I often think about like, well, what is it, what does it mean for like a new, a new DM? And, and I think that, there's sort of this this evil, you know. They they actually call the Dwarvenforge stuff the addiction. It's been known inside Dwarvenforge circles as the mm-hmm. addiction, and but I think miniatures are even worse because it always feels like you know, no matter how many miniatures you get, you'll never quite have the ones you want. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always like I'm always one slot short of having all the slots I want. See, that's right? why I'm like, always, that's why I'm always buying just one more box because I want to keep no, adding like, to that and collection. It's, and it's this asymptotic curve. You're never going to hit all of them, right? right. You're never going to have as many as you need. In theater of the mind, I can have 24 whites. You know, that's not hard. Mm-hmm. Just say it. There's 24 of them, and you know I've got a bunch of white minis, but not 24. You know, right. and um. So, so that idea, and and then once you start getting them, like I have a, a a ton of minis. I got you know all three Reaper Kickstarters plus minis that I've been collecting for ten, twelve years before that, right? So I've got like two thousand, three thousand minis. I don't even know a lot, and I've got I, all four Dwarven Forge Kickstarters. I've I backed all of them at different different levels and never going too crazy, but you know crazy mm-hmm. enough. And um, and I I don't have any desire. I, I have been getting rid of old Dwarven Forge stuff as I got new ones. I don't I don't really have any of the old resin stuff. 
which I did get into 10 years ago. Um, so I have all Dwarvenite stuff now, and I love the <laughs> Dwarvenite stuff. But I have no intention of getting rid of it. But I feel I know that feeling because it's like if I'm running Theater of the Mind, I feel like I've got thousands of dollars of minis and Dwarven Forge sitting behind me that I have not that I'm not using, so I can instead talk to people. Right, mm-hmm. which seems totally ridiculous. Or I set up these great big arrays, and then either they say like, "Well, I don't really want to go there." The big joke was I got the castle Kickstarter, and I set up this great big castle, and every player was like, "Yeah, I don't think we want to go there. That looks like that looks hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we're gonna get in there, so we're gonna go back to Skullport, you know." And and it, right, is it this? And they were all kidding, of course, right? They're like, "And we know we're going there." Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, you know, there, there is this like the minute you put it out there, you're railroad, you know, to a point, railroading where it's gonna go. Um, and, and it locks things down and it slows things up and it, you know, there's, it's a, it's a, not a hassle. It's like fun to set up. It's not exactly fun to tear down, but the new stuff is really easy to tear down because you don't, you just throw it in a big bag, right? You don't have to, you don't have to pack it away. Like I had to pack away the old resin stuff. Um, but there is this, like, I think it, you know, I love my stuff, but it's, if somebody was to ask me, oh, you know, should I get into that? Maybe like, no. Yeah. No, yeah, play, it's just it's the same. The you you, you yeah. know when you, the theater of the mind, you have as many miniatures as you can imagine, and you you have the most detailed maps you can ever have. Yeah, you know, and I you know it, there's it, it's it's the same uh, it's the same thing I tell people who are are talking about like getting into collectible card games like Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, don't do it. <laughs> not because not because it sucks, not because I think it's too geeky or I think you're a dork. I don't think any of those things. I think it's totally awesome. The problem is it's a lot of money and it's yeah. a lot of time. And unless you're really going to and it's never get, enough. it's never enough. And unless you're going to maintain that habit and that hobby right. all the time and you feel like you're using it enough, yeah. then go for it. Yeah. If you've got the expendable cash and you've got the time, hey, I don't begrudge anybody spending money on their hobby. I have a humongous RPG collection, but I started realizing that I wasn't using this stuff as much as I sh- as I thought I should. Right. But I was still having enough fun that it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was the beginning of that process where I'm talking about. I mean, and it, literally, it took me months to decide to sell my minis and my Dwarven Forge because yeah. I knew. Once I did, I knew they would sell. There was no question they were going to sell. But I knew once I sold them, I'm never, I can never get back into that again. Yeah, and then, then you, you're paying double. Yeah, I, I can <laughs> never do just it, and I just paid can't, and lost money, and then paying again. Know, yeah, and and the thing is, like, I just it, that's just not an option for me. Yeah, at, yeah. You know, it's just not. So so I I had to know myself well enough that okay, here's the choice I'm making, and it was so awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. When I sold it, I just was like, it's like a weight off. Yeah, I mean, and, there's, just, there's just this joy of like, I'm, and yeah. I do this with my remote games. I grab like one flip mat and a marker, mm-hmm. and I'm done. I don't need anything yeah. else. Like, I, I, I even have the Ar- the Arknight game stuff, and I love that because it's so packable. Yeah. It's hundreds right. of minis that you pack into like nothing. Hmm. Um, but even then, like, the number of times I pull them out is pretty rare yeah. because, you know, oh, I'll just, yeah. I'll just write whites on the board right. and be like, 24 you know, like. yeah and that's no. why and, and and i like i like the uh, i like the watsy tokens that are flat because and and i don't i don't dislike the pathfinder i mean i have like several boxes of them i don't dislike them but you put them up on a stand and yeah. so they make this you know they're a three-dimensional object which is great for particular instances yeah but you know it's so low maintenance to throw out a bunch of things that just say minion on them or just say orc on them or yeah. that just have a really generic picture of of a goblin. I mean it's just 
and they're and I have enough of them that they're you know I can I do have twenty four whites worth of tokens if I want yeah. to use a map. Although I, I don't, although I always run into the exact same thing with those the tokens from like like the Adventurer's Vault is what you're mm-hmm. talking about, right? In, in that I never have exactly what I need. It's the exact same thing I run into with minis, right? right? I never quite right. have enough of what I need or or the, yeah. the exact right monster or whatever. So yeah. But you know, I so the other the other freeing thing about not doing everything exactly, uh, my players when they were fighting that wyvern, the the storm wyvern. Of course, I don't have a token for a storm wyvern. It's my own kind of creature. Watsy right. never made a token for that. I just used a Paraton token. Right. I said, don't yeah. look at the picture. This is just this is just a representation, telling you where that is in relation to the position of the boat. That's all. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I do that all the time. You know. And I it's, don't like it's very it. free. Yeah, I know. So, but that's what I'm yeah. saying, though, is that when I when I when I made the decision to get rid of my minis, it was more than just getting rid of some items. It was also a shift in the way I decided I was always going to run the game. Right, mm-hmm. right. That that's what I found fascinating. Right, and that's and it's like I'm I'm not I'm not ready to make that leap. I don't know if I ever will. Yeah. Um. But I but I I like it, and I like I I, I could feel it. You know, I can I can feel where that's coming from. Uh, yeah. One of the things I did when the Kickstarter was going on for for Dwarven Forge for the for the Dungeon of Doom is I, I kind of said like I I want to take a you know I want to get a little less biased about this and and you know because I think a lot of times with I know I've been doing this with Kickstarter where the idea of the thing is so great I back it the thing <laughs> itself isn't nearly as good as the idea yeah or oh, yeah. not to me like it actually they they delivered exactly what they said yeah it's yeah. just when I have it in hand it's it ain't what I want I, I, I literally had a Kickstarter that showed up. And that night, I gave it away to one of my players. I was like, "Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I back this." Oh, you know? I, I yeah. back a bunch of games, and I'm like, "Oh, this this sounds really awesome, and, and that's going to be a blast to play." I, I backed the uh, the Torg Kickstarter, right? Torg Eternity, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I just had so many fond memories thinking back about to, to, to Torg back in the day, and and all this kind of stuff, and and. Um, you know, and it's great. And I, I, I just made it went on a trip the, the last few weeks, and I, I voraciously read like half of the the core book on the on the drive back uh, from Florida, and and um, I'm really enjoying getting into it and figuring out how how what's changed and how it works and all that kind of stuff. And then it also occurs to me, yeah, but like the chances that I'll ever convince my players to like set aside what we're doing and actually play a campaign of Torg that would justify me buying all this stuff uh, yeah. is pretty slim, you know? This isn't going to be our new core game that right. we play all the time. Yeah. This is this is a like little Shadow, side quest Shadow's we might do. The Demon Lord, right? Shadows and Numenera, like, they're, my, they're like my fifth and sixth favorite role-playing games out of four. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm just, yeah. I, would, I love them yeah. and they're beautiful and I, I keep buying them. I bought multiple Kickstarters for both of them. Mm-hmm. And I love them, but I'm not ever gonna. You know, I'm not ever. But well, so consequently, when I when I started selling my minis, I also started. Say that again. <laughs> consequently, a word. Yes, it is. Yes. Consequently, consequently, when I started, when I sold my minis and 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 my Dwarven Forge, I also started selling off some of my RPG books. Mm. I sat and I literally stared at my shelves yeah. one day. And I came across some books. I'm like, you know, I've been holding on to that book, and I've used it one time. I, other than the initial time when I got it and probably read it, I have used it once. And it's from a system I don't even play anymore right. and probably never will. Yeah, yeah. So are you yeah, telling me, it, giving, are you, telling me you went through your whole things. shelf and you touched each of your books and asked yourself if it gave you joy? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, no. No, you what I did was – I, I I touched all of them and I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to use this anytime soon. And I put it on a different shelf. And so then I had these I have these two shelves. Oh yeah, right. 
And then after a couple months, I said, okay, well, I've been running these games. Because, you know, I have... I have a couple different groups, and one of my groups plays a lot of different games. I don't just play D and D, and I so. But I have like a forty years worth of RPG collection, and I've sold. You know, in the past couple of years, I've made about three thousand dollars once again, just selling books yeah, because yeah. I I just decided I'm not going to use them. I'm just not going to use them. I had five five shelf bookcases, so twenty five shelves worth of. And that's not counting minis and dwarven oh, wow, That's yeah. just books. I'm down to two five shelf bookcases. Yeah, and you still have more than I do. <laughs> so. and I, I mean, I've got a ton of crap. That's the thing because I'm, you know, because I, I I'm one of those people who when you know, okay. So Mike mentioned Numenera. I love Numenera. It's a great game. I was I played a campaign of it last year for nine months. I have everything they've produced for Numenera. Do I need it? No. And if I don't end up playing Numenera again in a couple years, I've decided I'm going to start getting rid of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And as a result, also, I'm not buying anything new. I, I, I made a rule for myself. I said, okay, there's, there's, several, there's some rules that I need to make to lighten the, the – you know, because the thing is it's not just, oh, do I have this stuff laying around? Do I have room for it? It's not about room. I have the bookcases. It's about mental space. Sure. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, the, I, and, I get it. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's just mental clutter when I look at my shelves. I'm like, yeah. I can't possibly use this stuff. Some of the stuff I know I will never touch again. If it has a nostalgic value or if somebody gave it to me or if it was a present, I probably won't get rid of it. If it's written by somebody I know, <clears throat> Mike Shea, I probably won't oh. get rid of it. <laughs> but just, just keep the PDF. Yeah, right. <laughs> I hate reading stuff on PDF. Um, But, you know, if it's something from a game I haven't played in a really long time and I really don't have a desire to play that thing and it's available on PDF, I just get rid of the hard copy. Yeah. So here's what I figured out. I thought it was was a fascinating Yeah, and and here's what I figured out. I I think I figured out that while we absolutely could and should at some point in the future do an advice episode on running Theater of the Mind, the real... (laughs) episode we need to record someday is decluttering my gaming life with with sam sure. uh, dylan right so that works yeah yeah i have a five it's a five-part rule about how i determine whether i'm going to get rid of something or not yeah, that's cool yeah we got to figure out if there's a time that we can squeeze that in we're in the middle yeah. of our our class uh, advice series um yeah but we'll have to figure out if we can squeeze that in at some point because i think that sounds like a cool idea so yeah. maybe, maybe mike, know, mike, also- mike can go through some decluttering himself and then have a revisit so this I'm, idea. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. Like I, 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 I croon regularly and give them away at gaming conventions. <laughs> Jeff is go. just trying to find a way for us to send him all of our stuff. Well, you, you should have. <laughs> yeah, because I need, I need your stuff. I don't have time to use what I have. I'm, I'm not much better, and I don't have half the stuff you have. So, I, you know, the thing is that it's, it's really about um, focusing in and like prepping the game that I'm running, not the game I'd like to have. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's always going to be some, and, and it's also reduced my Kickstarter, uh, you know, purchases because sure. I, you know, there's always, you know, pretty much any good DM I've ever met always is also thinking about, oh, in some time, in some in future campaign, I'm going to do this thing. And then you buy things that are going to help you do that. And then you end up with like a ton of crap that you never use. 
All right. Well, I, th I think we should save this for a future yeah, let's deep, save in depth conversation. We've well, yeah, been really well, interesting topic. I love e it. Even Thank edited, you. I think we're going to be over an hour ten at this point. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's time still to let shorter go. than the last episode. Is it okay? Well, there you go. Uh, so we're going to call this good. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation, uh, and we'll be back next month, which is actually like a week or two away. So yeah. uh, we, uh, we'll see. If we're, we're recording this one late, so we'll see if we uh, end up going back to back two weeks in a row for our, our yeah. recording. So we'll All do right. some. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Bye, everybody. everybody.